Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent Marketing Podcast, where we talk to industry experts about the ups and downs of marketing. Our host is Mike Williams, Director at Jetstream. All right, we're here with the Turbulent Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Williams, and today I'm really excited to have a guest, uh, Rob Cooper, who's here from Plus ROI. Uh, Rob and I go way back uh, over the years. We've worked on a couple different projects, but mostly just had coffee and hung out and chatted about marketing. So really excited to to do this podcast and hear about your wins and, and misses or hits and misses uh, in the marketing world. So Rob, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, I've been all in full-time web marketer for 18 years now um, worked in various companies for about five years and then uh, started our agency uh, through our agency we've done all different sizes of companies from tiny startups to uh, to great big sort of national accounts um, I, I actually prefer the slightly smaller ones just in in roles where we get to interact directly with um, sort of decision makers and, and stakeholders, sort of major stakeholders, owners, founders in the company. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of us. Yeah, cool. So so Plus ROI has been going for 15 years? Sorry, uh, 12 years. 12 years. Okay, yeah. so coming up on 15 at yeah, some point. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, and I kind of know the story, but I'd like you to share it with the listeners. What made you start Plus ROI? Plus ROI? Uh, well, in 2007, when I started it, I was working for a company called DivX out of San Diego and when that came to an end uh, they actually wanted me to move down there and we didn't want to move so that that ended that and there weren't at that point a ton of sort of senior director VP digital jobs in town so it was sort of a situation of um, either having to look out of town um, look to probably there was like five companies at that time where there was a role that was senior enough that that sort of made sense for for where I'd uh, gotten to and I think of those five probably two wouldn't have had me I wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have wanted to work at two of them and the remaining one had somebody in the seat so not not a lot of options there <laughs> so anyhow uh, started consulting um, July of 2017, and we had two contracts out of Seattle by August, and then started uh, getting folks on board to help out, and then it quickly morphed into into more of an agency than a July consultancy. July 2007. 2007. Right. Uh, you said 2017. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so back back then, uh, even prior to DivX and Plus ROI, you were part of the, what I'll call the ACD uh, mafia, uh, yeah. Rob Alhouse, the how, the, well, Mark How, I guess, and yeah. oh, a couple other characters. Yeah. Colin was there too. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in Victoria, uh, you're known as the the marketing generalist. If anybody wants to talk about uh, online marketing in the tech community or online marketing at all, your name quite often uh, comes up, and and that's something that uh, you spend some time educating uh, local businesses as well, and and teaching a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, what 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 inspires you to do that? I've started to do some digital marketing teaching as well, which I really enjoy. Uh, but what brought you to that uh, sort of opportunity? Uh, well, I'm kind of uh, anal about things, like to see them done right. So it's actually really satisfying to be able to share with people how to um, how to do some of the things that I've that I've that I've learned, and then. Um, 
I mean, it's just really tough, too, because in a situation, um, in, in my case, I had the good luck of getting hooked up with some large companies outside the city. If you're not testing and marketing at scale, it's really hard to learn sort of what to do the mm-hmm. first time out. So long story short, I have a ton of fun with the teaching, um, not doing a ton of it right now, kind of focusing more on the business and, and uh, some stuff there. But I, I could totally see, you know, teaching half time when I when I kind of retire, whatever the heck that looks like one sure. year. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit, I'll let you decide whether we start with a with a hit or a miss or a win or a loss, but I'll let you uh, tell us a, a story about one or maybe several uh, as we get into this today. Yeah, well, maybe um, maybe I'll touch on a couple wins first. And the big thing was uh, being invited to to come on here. It was really interesting because I went and looked through our past client list, thought about the companies I'd worked at, and what I found was that everything had really similar themes, mm-hmm. um, certain wins, certain losses, and, and actually all the biggest wins um, looked very similar in some way. So maybe I'll just get those out of the way and then yeah. and then talk about the many uh the many lows <laughs> um and I, I say that tongue-in-cheek fortunately we had few really big disasters but um so so nothing too horrible but in terms of times when i felt like either i failed or that we failed our clients yeah i can just imagine over 12 years they'd come across some things yeah, that happen <laughs> yeah no absolutely so um on the wind side i mean a huge one was the uh ACD one was was a great example. Um, I joined there in 2001, January 2001, to do email marketing for them. Uh, at that point, they had a list of, I'm going to say, over 100,000 paid users, a million trial users, and had never done email marketing. Wow. So that was pretty cool. And I actually got hired into the role and was given the um, the runway to properly research and and develop it, which was good as I'd never actually done email marketing myself before. <laughs> so I actually had literally months to um, put together a great plan and and uh, get help from everybody there, do a bunch of research, attend a couple conferences. So that, that was just incredible. And um, in that case, the first time we did just a tiny promo, uh, it brought in $10,000 the day we ran it wow. on, at a time when the company was selling about $10,000 a day or probably more like $5,000 a day online at that time even. And then uh, that fall of the first year, um, basically we we got delayed, really sad. Uh, we were going to launch um, right around 9-11. Oh, wow. And so obviously we're like, oh my God, we can't go out and do this big promo um, on, on September 12th, like the day after or whatever. Mm. So we shelved it for a week and then saw things were kind of returning to normal and decided to um, launch it, but to compress it. So instead of sending out these emails over a period of a week and a half, they went out all in a day. And long story short, we um, melted down Digital River, which was basically the world's biggest e-commerce provider for software companies at the time. And um, yeah, so we sold something like $80,000 worth of Forty dollar software until um, <laughs> until the point where Digital River did truly implode. And it was one of those funny <laughs> situations, like out of a movie, where like support was like running around screaming. Uh, there were people like yelling at them, like, "No, this is a great thing!" And yeah. it was just uh, what a great problem. Mental, but it's a problem. yeah, yeah. So that was um, 
That was cool. And we went on. I mean, at, at the at the height of it, um, I actually had a two hundred fifty thousand dollar day. Um, wow. uh, two years later, on a on again uh, the, the annual product launch, and and that's on a, a thirty nine ninety nine bundle at wow. that time. So we were we were we were rocking it there. So that that um, just um, b- before you move off that, uh, I'm just kind of curious what you used to to send the email. Like this is before the days of Mailchimp and. Well, at that time, it was uh, double. We, we signed up for an email service provider called Flow Network, which was out of Toronto and was um, built uh, built for like total national level campaigns, and and uh, that was after a ton of diligence and comparison. Apparently, we picked the right company because DoubleClick also picked them to buy oh. right when we were getting rolling. And that was before Google bought DoubleClick. Okay. Um, so Google DoubleClick bought them as their email engine and we got on, got on with them. And then eventually uh, we moved to exact target. Okay. And exact target, I believe is still around and they're, they're kind of a tear up from, from companies like MailChimp and, and MailChimp constant contact. Those are fantastic value. Um, Getting to a level where you're sending millions of emails, right, they're not. there's definitely a, a level up. Um, and some of the biggest things is just even the, uh, like you might be looking at spending um, literally five times more money for it. But if your delivery deliverability right, totally rate goes up it. slightly, it, it's just an exercise in math. Like right. if, if, <laughs> and at that time, trust me, we had to do that because the first contract we had was for, we paid out something like two hundred thousand dollars for our first contract with wow. Flow Network that got by, bought by DoubleClick. Um, but again, if you're selling, I mean, at the height of it, we're doing about three million a year through the email channel, and so you know you look at one option that might be a hundred thousand dollars more, but if it gets two or three yeah. percent better it's deliverability, huge. it's 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 literally just math. Huh. Um, that's very cool. And yeah, no, I, I mean, I was blessed to to get on there, and it was um, it was basically like going to school for web marketing. Yeah. Um, I mean, in that company, I, I ended up running the online marketing division, so I got to dabble in everything and awesome. and get to know everyone. And anyhow, the the funny thing is, and I'll jump to quickly one of the losses or or one of the lows was. Um, in that company, uh, as you can imagine, there was a lot of pressure to keep those sort of numbers going through email. So we um, eventually got to a point where our habits of discounting and promotion kind of came around and, and boomeranged. And, um, you know, I, I got to see I got to see some signs of that relatively early, kind of started sending up some some sort of balloons around, hey, we got to be a bit careful about that. But again, it, it, with what was at that time a public company, mm. um, there was no turning back. Right. And uh, in a sense, I mean, great, great products still use it, actually. And I even pay for it now, which is, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was a lesson that, that I learned big time that it's, you know, I don't know, it, it's like being addicted to something. The more you drug. do it, the more you have to do it to get the same results. Right. And, and so they're certainly since then with, with our clients, they're kind of some careful boundaries we don't cross and things like we always want to we never want to actually discount if possible with with rare exceptions we always want to add in value add so that it doesn't appear that there's always going to be a better price and right. there, there's definitely some tactics you can use to avoid having that happen um 
learning the hard way. But yeah, that was that was kind of hard to watch when that started going in the in the other direction. So you're talking about it, you like cannibalized your own sales by discounting through email, or yeah, and and I mean sales. The the company people still love the product. Sales were still going in the right direction, but it got to a point where any regular users weren't buying except at some sort of uh, special discount. offer. Right. right. Um, and I mean, look at companies like traditional companies like the Bay. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe that shows my age, but it's funny now um, to buy new shirts. They have a sale once a year and they have shirts for like nice dress shirts for yeah. a third the price. So. I actually used to work at the Bay years ago and uh, I worked in the linen department and stuff goes to like 50, 40% yeah. off on the weekend. I yeah. like, why would you shop during the week? No, exactly. So yeah, in our family, I, I mean, don't buy anything full price there basically. Mm-hmm. And um, hmm. it's like nowadays for the last two years, I've waited until their, their sale. They have a sale in the fall where again, they have like $70 dress shirts on for like 25 bucks. So I buy enough of them to get free shipping. And then my wife ends up sending probably three of the five back because okay. I'm unqualified <laughs> to pick shirts. <laughs> so kind of definitely, I would say a loss for them versus, yeah. uh, and, and other examples, there's a video, um, video software company that I've used before. And again, they, they, if you haven't bought anything in six months, they just start sending out the discounts to a point where again, I would never pay, ever pay full right. price for their software. Right. Um, anyhow, not to go on about that for too long. Um, but the, the interest of the lesson I kind of got out of that, which also applies to some of the other big ones where that were real wins for us was, um, basically trying everything and testing everything, tracking everything and, and doing it, um, kind of month over month and making little incremental gains. And that was a huge, huge lesson there. Just even the ability to run hundreds, if not thousands of tests right. in, my, in my time there, um, that carried on, I mean, in, in our client base, uh, you know, we worked with, um, like there's an app developer out of, out of Los Angeles that we've worked with that we took them from a $300 a month ads budget. And I think at that point they were $10 a, a, a sign up. So, uh, be like 30 or sorry, three, yeah, something like 30 signups in their first month. That's when we got on board and ended up, um, when, when they did a pivot and got out of the, the B2C and into B2B, we had gotten to a point of doing 30,000 app, um, oh, wow. downloads and, and installs a month on their behalf, strictly through advertising and literally just chipping away, you know, growing a little bit each month and then adding, adding as it, as it improved. Um, same like some of the other big ones, property investment firm that we worked with again started uh, on a seven hundred dollar a month budget and got them to eventually seventy thousand dollars a month wow. in in ad spend based on it being the the best performing channel. And um, again, it's just setting the expectations of hey, we're going to go through this experimentation process. We're going to learn what happens, and then we're just basically going to you know, whether you call it growth hacking or Kaizen or or whatever you call it, basically just improve a little bit month over month and just keep going in the right direction. Yeah. And and so it sounds like, I don't know if you're still doing this, but because those are some smaller budgets, like you're not opposed to starting with clients that are smaller with smaller budgets and growing with them. I've, well, it's funny. We'll get to some losses or, or, or some, (laughs) some lows there in a minute, but, um, no, really with us, the biggest criteria over size um, 
is just whether we think we can succeed with someone. Right. Um, meet a lot of people, and and fortunately, we've got sort of the stability in the company now that there's not a lot of there's not pressure to to work on something if we don't think it's going to work out mm-hmm. for them. So I actually get really excited by you know we see clients that um, we just have a couple thousand dollars a month to spend on their web marketing and. Um, but if we can see a path to growing it, absolutely, we'll jump in. Uh, on the flip side, again, some of the other lows um, we've learned, doesn't matter what somebody's budget is, if, if we can't see a clear path to success, it's probably best to yeah. stay the hell out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you got another win you want to share? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, com- those fairly common. I mean, there, there was a, a really cool one. Uh, company called JER Envirotech uh, right when we started uh, Plus ROI where we were challenged by somebody in a sort of traditional offline company um, selling industrial materials who was like we're kind of pitching them to do some work and he's like well you're supposed to be the expert what should we do and sort of got carte blanche to propose something and as it turned out this the, the CEO was presenting at an industry conference um, and he got to be like a, a big speaker, you know, in front of like 400 people in the injection molding industry. And, and uh, so we're like, oh, well, with this opportunity, we should do a case study that you can present a summary of in your presentation. And then we'll turn that into basically inbound marketing, um, turn that into a fully fledged white paper that people can come mm. and sign up for online. And um, yeah, that, that was turned out to be just huge they um actually got a couple national contracts out of it like with big name sort of uh in industry people in the states um they had hundreds of leads that came from it which hundreds doesn't sound like a lot if you're talking about sort of b2b2c software right. but in in b2b B2 industrial stuff that that was huge um and they went on to yeah it's funny the um both of the two industry magazines picked it up so one one of one of the main industry magazines published our white paper as a as their as a a main feature oh wow in their print thing so um yeah so that was cool actually got written up on marketingprofs.com which i never hear about much anymore but i I do check from time to time when i go to mention it it's still still there so that was uh that was pretty cool, and 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 really, that um, was was my eye opener to um, trying to think about how, well, how do you tie offline to online? So, um, I mean, other things we've worked with, uh, sort of food manufacturers that um, are just doing distribution and and done things like couponing, so that we. Um, run coupons through Facebook uh, yep. to people within a certain radius of their stores. And then, um, and then you can track the redemptions of the coupons yep. and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and really, um, I mean, we're numbers, we're a, a team that just focuses on the numbers. So it's like get presented with these cool um, offline opportunities and think, well, how, if we were doing web marketing to support that, like, how could we, how could we quantify it? Yeah. And then, sort of go figure that out so so those sort of things were big yeah i think it's so important to 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 marry the online and offline strategy together whenever you can i think it's quite easy in the if you're a digital agency or you're working in the online world to to forget about the offline yeah so it's nice to be able to to marry those together and actually track that too with a simple thing like a coupon yeah no absolutely and well it's funny you say that because um 
as a pragmatic numbers guy who who was actually involved a little bit in traditional marketing um sort of in the offline era um my views on branding and branding i mean brand is critically important but my views on brand marketing as how it's practiced for most companies have been very low like yeah. it's like i just had no time for it and it's just in the last couple of years that i've actually seen how much a strong brand impacts your results so even for for search marketing yeah um you can be successful in search marketing without a brand but if you have a brand and someone recognizes your name they're they're just dramatically more likely to click on your ad to actually end up buying the product. Yeah, and I and I and I come from very much the performance marketing world where we didn't really care about the brand either. But but we're seeing more and more of that. The brands stand out. So it's not just brand but authority and thought leadership and the fact that you stand out as a unique brand that is recognizable probably drives up your click through rate even if you're in position four or five on page one. Right. Yep. Because people recognize it like, oh that's a brand I recognize. Yeah. And so it is becoming much more important and I think there's a bit of a convergence of the two brand uh, and and performance which I, I think you now need both to be truly successful uh, in, in the online world too so yeah no absolutely we've been well it's funny um, a couple of our uh, quote failures um, relate to me not appreciating the importance of brand and again <laughs> something that took probably 10 years to really figure out is that um, with rare exceptions if somebody's not seen your name before, not seen your company name, right. it's unlikely they're going to buy something from you mm. in a first visit. Right. So, which really kind of scuttles a lot of plans if you're trying to, you know, make an impact and and, and generate some results without sort of thinking of the of the branding element. Um, there's actually one cool area is, is uh, I've taken some courses and actually traveled and and. Uh, learned at this crazy place called the wizard academy in austin texas okay. um a fellow named roy williams who wrote the wizard of ads trilogy the, these business books like back i'll be dating myself but i think around uh 2000 okay and um he he's big in radio and i i have been reading about some of the formulas of reach and frequency and and uh whatnot for radio and it's cool lately have been really trying to find a, a data set aside and just figure out a, how that math and um, how those formulas would work in a, in a medium like Facebook mm -hmm. um, or, or Google display. Uh, Cause they're like, they're trying to, it's been around forever. There's, right. there's to, to find like good practitioners of um, sort of radio advertising and learn about that stuff there there's definitely some lessons to be learned that that could be applied to uh display or, or facebook mm -hmm. to or, or whatever platform to to generate sort of that brand awareness yeah i'm i'm going a little further back but i'm reading ogilvy on advertising right now which is really interesting because he talks about uh you know print and radio and direct mail and, and some of these things and like tv's like a new medium but I just wanted to go back and, and look at some of the techniques and some of the psychology behind the ads. And I, there's definitely stuff that's applicable to websites, blogs, ads, text ads, search marketing, landing pages, those sorts of things as well. So it's kind of neat to, to go back and, and learn from other mediums that maybe uh, aren't as popular now, but there's still lots to, to learn and gain from them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
any other big successes you'd like to to cover off before we move on to 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 dig into some of your your big failures? No, I think I mean those are I, I mean obviously the, those are the ones I'm proudest of, but I mean really it's just um, there, there's nothing sort of specific to dig into. And again, the lessons from the big ones are always the same. It's like set expectations with the client or with the company you're working in. Um, take a methodical approach and uh and i guess on on the failure note jumping to failure i mean there is the other end of the scale that that some large companies with really big budgets um do that i was once kind of talked into doing on behalf of a client um and the client was keen um uh, i'll i'll leave the advertising behemoth uh nameless at the moment um but uh but let's just say that the rep there that we worked with convinced the client um, that they should spend $25,000 in their first month of search advertising oh, wow. to basically blanket all the terms. And then the results would be good enough that you could immediately start to pare down on just the top performers. And that in in no time, they'd have these super profitable campaigns. And I couldn't quite wrap my head around how that was going to fully work out like the logic is there but i just didn't see it happening in execution and and i should have spoken up and just told the client we weren't going to do Mm -hmm. it um as it stands i think they got three hundred dollars in sales off that uh first twenty five thousand dollar investment and and again that's the the opposite of being small and growing methodically. Well, that's what I was just going to ask yep. you is, is, is the, the approach that I've always gone with is to start small, mitigate the losses and scale up versus the reverse, which I know that both strategies work. And I've seen it more so in display where it's like, we're going to go and yep. we're going to spend thousands and then we'll yep. pare it down to what works. Well, but, but in search, I think that you can, you can scale up. And if you're actually a little bit more savvy and, and, cheap yeah. you'll, you'll find some you'll discover some really great keywords that yeah. don't cost five ten dollars a click or... no ab- absolutely and that's more or less the only way we do it is like the yeah. growth, growth hacking model of you know whether it's the scaling up model or the growth hacking model of of you know testing out five or ten really modest campaigns like yeah. i'm talking about maybe 300 bucks ad spend per campaign picking up the figuring out what worked, what didn't, and then sort of growing incrementally and, and sometimes more than incrementally from there. But again, the, with, with companies that have a big enough budget, um, like if you're GE and are launching yeah. some major new product, um, the opportunity cost is almost greater and I guess is greater than, than the cost of the advertising. So in that case, um, if they invest $100,000 in search the first month, but identify five key themes within there and then quickly get to work on that, they probably make more profit off it sort of 10 months in or 12 months in. They've gotten more profitable faster sure. yeah. than, than, than taking that incremental approach. And in fact, we've lost um, accounts by being too modest up front, by trying yeah. to set um, reasonable expectations, but being beat... It, and starting with a small budget and, and then been beat by someone who's assuring them, oh, no, you spend $30,000 in June, we'll be up to sixty by August, and you'll be raking in the dough. And, and uh, yeah, we, we lose on that. But, again, it's um, that that was probably 
the biggest failure that I can think of just because mm-hmm. I knew both the founders of the company and as much they really wanted to do it. But essentially, that's 25 grand of like yeah. their money. They're putting a lot um, of trust in you to help yeah. you get them there. But I've, I've been a, I'll say, a victim of that before where I've let uh, the search behemoth build a campaign yeah. for me. <laughs> and man, that thing could spend money. Yeah. Right? But But it wasn't necessarily the results and so i see our jobs as marketers or agencies to be the the mid in the middle you're, you're keeping google and facebook happy optimizing the campaign making sure that uh there's lots of traffic coming in and that it's a healthy campaign but the other side of that is making money for yourself or making money for the client and standing in the middle and manipulating yeah. those results but i, I always tell clients is you know google and facebook will will spend your money that's not a problem (laughs) that's not a problem at all but where where you and i come in is to to help them spend it well and and successfully and profit profitably absolutely yeah that's a painful (laughs) 25 grand and you said and you said 300 dollars 400 bucks even if it was like 3000 it's all (laughs) no i've still got the uh, well 3000 would be a start right Mm -hmm. 300 is like oh we have two keywords we can start yeah. to work with and i think we eventually had we eventually worked to have a, a series of small campaigns that were that were profitable but i don't think they ever made back that yeah. money that uh, that they spent the first month tough lesson um, yeah 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 um do you have another another one you wanted to share? Or? Sure, yeah. I mean, I can that one's pretty big. Sure, <laughs> appreciate you sharing day. this oh. as well. Thank you for coming on the podcast <laughs> and and sharing these failures. Um, one, uh, so so we're a multi-channel team. We actually, which I think for years we we're sort of told, hey, there, you know, you should specialize mm-hmm. in one thing. But you know what? If if you're a mid-sized company. There are definitely situations where you want a well. Now we call it full stack, um, yeah. rather, which I freaking hate that term. But it's like, oh, let's take a concept that's been around for a century and call yeah. it something different and techy. Yeah, well, I I, so, I have a I have a challenge with full stack development. I I yeah. don't really I'm not a developer, but I don't see how you can be really good at both. Yeah. And so full stack marketer, it's like okay, well now we've got like eight, ten, twelve disciplines. You yeah. can't be great at all of them. No, but I like the the sitting in that position, looking down and having an understanding of all the strategies to know where to go. But to be an expert in all of those, to say you're complete full, like because yeah. that's what I take from full yeah. stack is that you're great. Like at you everything. could go and like, do all of it. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. So so anyhow, funny. I, I mean, it's um, and actually going back to 2007, starting the agency at that time, I did feel like oh, I'm I, I wouldn't say an expert. But I know all these different fields. Yeah. Well, and then it's funny, like two years into that and getting deeper into PPC, and it's kind of like you get to a point where you're like, I know nothing about this. <laughs> That's <laughs> a mean, low moment. <laughs> even uh, looking at like looking at PPC, like you can't really be a quote PPC specialist anymore. You're like mm-hmm. a Facebook or your Google or your whatever, and and even in Google. There's search, there's display. I know large companies that have like managers of different types of display. It's like, and and, uh, if you're going to be really leading edge, you have to get down to that level. So anyhow, don't know quite how I got off on that tangent, but as a generalist (laughs) agency, we, we do um, a fair bit of SEO. And actually we have one team member who's, who's ridiculously gifted technically in that area. And, um, can definitely hold his own. Not, I mean, there are certainly expert agencies that go beyond that. But um, 
one of the, the what I would say, the second biggest failure that just sticks out in my mind as, as being disappointed at myself in is that we had a great software client. We we're helping them with email, helping them with PPC, getting some good results there. And we embarked upon a content and SEO strategy for them. And uh, it's funny, the mistake there was actually... Um, continuing to run run something that that they didn't have a large enough SEO budget to compete in their industry mm. basically they, right. they were in a software space that was quite competitive and I think back and I should have known that hey this is actually not ever going to make a difference so it wasn't huge I think at that time it might have been two thousand dollars a month twenty five hundred dollars a month devoted to, to SEO slash content strategy and and it at that time, that was a reasonably healthy budget for somebody dealing regionally or in a niche, but for a company competing globally in a, mm-hmm. in a software category. Um, yeah, so basically we spent, I'm going to say, 18 months doing that without ever really making a dent oh, no. other than in a few niche keywords and ultimately lost that account and all the good work we'd done in the other areas, mostly on that so in that case it sounds like another case of setting expectations or not being kind of too uh because i I could see myself falling into that trap of like yeah "Yeah, i think i can do this yeah it's difficult but here's their budget and i think i can make it happen and and you start doing it and then you get into it even then you, you still kind of stay on the on track um but is that a case of Maybe you, you thought you could do more or you weren't communicating enough the expectations with the client that got off track or just a in, very difficult niche. In, uh, in my case, I basically consider that my failure mm. um, because I should have known, I, I, I knew they would kind of go for that budget. I legitimately thought it was a good thing to do, but all yeah. the research tools existed then. Uh, Open Site Explorer, was around. Um, I think SpyFu was even around there. Maybe not SpyFu, but there was enough tools and, and there's enough transparency that um, we should have been able to do enough work to determine, hey, like here's all the companies that are in front of us. Yeah, We have to be beating at least several of them to get on page one for, for any of the stuff that they want to rank for. And, and essentially that, so I mean, that's how we approach SEO engagements now is the first thing is sort of a audit to get to baseline competitive audit to see. Yeah. And again, cause you can, you can more or less see exactly what you need to do and how much you need to commit to, to compete in, in SEO. And um, I mean, it's a kind of talk the talk about that back then, but I, I hadn't learned the hard way to, um, to actually go out and, and do that sort of, quantification up front yeah. to be able to yeah set client expectations in this case even our own sort of expectations yeah um so that was that was one that i mean that that one and the ppc one are, are really the two that great in the back of my mind um as as places where i felt that i really failed um failed the client and and sort of wasn't proud of it and yeah. uh uh it's funny in, in both cases. Um, actually, still have good relationships. With I was going to ask. I was going to ask. Involved, <laughs> um, but uh, 
So, so um, you kind of discussed some of the lessons that you took from that, but is there anything that you do differently based on those two losses? Like I, like we were talking before the podcast, how you know the wins are, are great and they feel awesome, but you learn so much from those failures. What were kind of some of your, your biggest learnings or, or how have you changed how you operate now that you've had these two big failures? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the right way to, Put it, but basically, uh, any engagement that we do now, risk mitigation yeah. is a factor. Um, chatting with the client, being realistic about the possibilities that things might not go well. Um, it's, and it's different. Different industries are different. I mean, some industries we've just done enough of that I can be extremely confident and be like, "Oh yeah, no, you're going to get B two B leads for this." Products uh, probably they'll start in these like seventy to one hundred and fifty dollar range, and from what I know, like long term, we'll get them down into the forty fifty dollar range if things go well. And you know, some some places I'll say stuff like that, but you look at startups or companies that haven't done search or haven't done display or haven't done Facebook advertising before, and um, essentially I explain to the clients that we take an approach of hey, what we're going to do to start is. Um, mitigate the really real risk of some of this not working mm-hmm. by doing these rather than invest sort of 10 or 15 grand in a strategy right out of the gate. We're going to do a whole bunch of small experiments. We're going to approach this together as a learning experience. We're going to develop your best practices. We're going to have some wins, some losses, but essentially from that uh, month over month, figure out which ones are working, which ones we can grow. And in the unlikely event that, we get a couple months in and nothing's working. Um, you actually haven't risked or spent that much to get to that point. And fortunately that doesn't happen um, too often anymore. And I, I guess we've got smarter about client selection as well. Right. And if um, I'm willing to experiment with somebody, if there's someone who has the budget and, and the confidence level to do it, but we're not going to risk someone's budget if they, if they don't have, the sort of budget that lends itself to it and, and a bit of a tolerance for risk. We just won't go there if we can't see where the successful outcome is. Yeah. And so it sounds like you've, you've kind of, you don't, you haven't necessarily niched your agency into a certain vertical or certain services, but it sounds like you have a bit of a criteria for uh, how you choose your clients. Like maybe you're in those first initial conversations, you're getting an idea of budget or how they work or what they're like to work with. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that kind of true? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we, um, we don't, I mean, we have verticals that we definitely do a lot of work in and, and would be considered specialists in, but um, it's more that we're specialists in our approach mm-hmm. to it, which... That's um, a great way to look at it. You know, I mean, our agency is not a brand agency. Again, I, 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 I now respect brand more, way more than I used to, but we don't try and work our way into that. We are basically math. <laughs> right, so like, you're working with someone who's managing yeah. the brand. Might be another agency, might be someone internal, might be someone who yeah. owns the brand within. Yeah, but you have much more respect for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's great. Um, and uh, so, what's next for for Plus ROI? Uh, you've been around for 12 years. I, I thought it was 15, so you must be on your way yeah. to 15. Yeah, there but we go. Um, what, what's next, and and what do you see ahead? Uh, both on the win side and on the loss side or, or positive things that are coming down the uh, future and, and some, maybe some negative things that you see happening in the, the world of online marketing? 
Um, well, it's funny. I mean, starting with the negatives, I mean, there's going to be lots of churn. Like we do, we do tons of WordPress development for for, for example, and I can see a world without WordPress. I mean, I can yeah. see where I, I can see where things are going, and, and stuff like Squarespace and Wix, those platforms used to suck. It's now at a point where if a friend who was going to launch a small site wanted to know what to do, I, I would no longer offer to make them a WordPress site. Wow! It's yeah. like the monthly updates, the technical know-how. That'd be like, let's you know, this is easy. Get you know, this Squarespace covers, yeah. or yeah. Wix or or whatever the platform so that's one thing and and the same goes for i mean look we're we're big in in google i mean we're google premier partners we've drank the kool-aid actually you're wearing the google partners hoodie I'm today google partners hoodie right now <laughs> other than, you know i have one i have one beef with um how they target mobile apps on the display network that i think is not in line with their core company principles i, I think i've seen this problem uh, but, uh, <laughs> other th- other than that like i'm I, I i do honestly believe that they're an ethical and a good company i really like them that said um they're doing their damnedest to improve their ai to a point where traditional optimization yeah. um is right out of the gate like or sorry is, is, is gone so um all that said, my, my sort of mantra in the past has always been that with change comes opportunity. So uh, I finally kind of at a point in the company where I can keep an eye on some of the future trends and, and kind of think about how we reshape our company for what's going to be happening. Because I think having a, a strong business knowledge versus a technical knowledge is going to be exponentially more important five years from now Yeah, um, in terms of advertising. and Because Google will do all the optimization at some point on yeah, the and I, technical side. And that's part of what inspired me to read this Ogilvy on advertising is not that I feel like we're going back to that madman era, but but the creative and the art is going to matter more uh, and understanding how the technical piece works is going to be less tinkering and, and lever pulling uh, on our side as marketers. Um, but I like what you said about, um, you know, we, we don't survive in this world not being looking at the challenges and changes as opportunities. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm kind of interested in, it'd be great to get your opinion on this, is, is the world of voice search and this idea of like zero position where there's really only one winner. I'm like, you know, if you look at it from the negative, it's like, oh my God, no one is going to have second position. There's going to be no room for ads, just one winner, which I don't know that is true, but I'm not, I'm not sure where the opportunity is yet, but it's, it's growing rapidly yeah no it's it's growing i mean it's funny uh and this will again date me as having been in the industry for a few years but i remember um even from about 2002 people were like on about mobile and how mobile (laughs) you know it's going to be everything it's going to take right over we need to do this right now and in truth it took i'm going to say eight years longer than the industry pundits thought. And I think that's kind of where it's at with voice search. I think what um, things are going to look like in 2025 is better have a handle on it, but, but I'm not, um, I'm I'm not losing sleep over it or, or feeling like I'm basically thinking I can leave my head in the sand for another year or two. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a great plan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And then come up. I mean, the beauty of the internet is you can learn everything that's ever been written about it in a week. Um, So, yeah. This is very difficult to predict the future. So you see all this stuff, you hear all these things, and it's like, you know, as you and I have both seen many changes, you just kind of wait and see and and dabble in it and and, and learn about it. Absolutely. 
But I do wonder, I mean, you mentioned Wix and um, uh, Squarespace and some of these other platforms and, you know, potentially in a world where we have voice search and chatbots and you could maybe text a business rather than going to their site and stuff. Maybe there's a, a future in, around the corner where there aren't websites. Uh, there's a different form of communication with businesses where you could say, hey, what's the, you know, hours for the, the coffee shop around the corner and, you know, what's their special today? And you could ask something or you could text something where you wouldn't have to go to their dot com. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for, for really straightforward service industries, you could totally see yeah. that. Um, I mean, I'll go back a couple of years. Uh, Facebook people are saying, oh, your Facebook page is more important than your website. You don't actually need a website. And it, it, Yeah, I remember thinking I, at the time, it's like Facebook could be everything. Facebook could be the web, right? You wouldn't need a website. You yeah. just have a Facebook page. But I, I mean, I, st I, st I think the website as somebody's digital home is going to be still critically important take a while for, for that to decades. change. Decades. Well, well, think about larger sites where there's tons of resources. Mm. There there might be, we'll, we'll go B2B for a second. There might be support. There might be a whole resources section with like how-to videos. There might be a whole bunch of PDF right. downloads. There's a whole bunch of inbound marketing materials. You, you need, I think for quite a long time, you'll need a hub somewhere for that yeah, to be. Yeah, I can I imagine that'd be pretty frustrating to navigate. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you have on your website? <laughs> oh, we have all these things. So, yeah. so yeah, I think, I think, but, but again, um, we've, we've done well off change again, coming out of traditional industries. Like I worked in the print industry before I did digital. Mm. So I worked in a dying industry where there weren't a lot of options. And, and to me now it's just like, yeah, the, the, the more things change and the faster they change, the more advantage to leapfrog over competitors that are slow to adapt. Absolutely. Um, so I still, yeah, it excites me more than scares me on that front. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, that seems like a pretty great point to, uh, to wrap things up. I appreciate you coming on and, uh, sharing the highs, uh, which are easier to share because we all talk easily talk about those, but sharing the lows and some of the, the challenges can be difficult, but I think it's an important part of getting to some of those successes and, uh, I like to look at the, the campaign as a product and we're going to put the campaign up and we're going to learn and, and grow. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing that with the listeners. So thanks a lot, Rob, and uh, uh, great chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. That was fun. Thanks for listening to the Turbulent Marketing Podcast. Our show is brought to you by www.jetstream.agency. Be sure to follow us at Jetstream Agency and get more episodes of the Turbulent Marketing Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share this with one person.